Today's episode was recorded on June the 8th, 2021. I'm your host, Gaming Psychologist, and back with me from the abyss. Oh no, it's not uh, fun uh, doing that to you. Caffeine rage. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> you you lived. Uh, your tech didn't, but you did. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing uh, games that we've played. We're going to be going through a few news topics. Zelda, Skyward Sword... Loftwing Amiibo lets you skip a frustrating piece of game design. Report says 75% of mobile gaming pandemic boost will persist. EA pulls several Need for Speed titles from the online shops. And if time allows, we'll have a Steam Discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. You're back from outer uh, space. And I'm front. You are. This is uh, the first time I've rattled off the actual show intro in like six weeks, right? Yeah, something like that. Because when I did the the guest interviews, I, there was no reading anything off. It was just like having them on and talking about their stuff. And then when I had yeah, the guest, yeah, I'm hosts, sure I've I'm sure I've just brought the quality of the podcast way way back down. Well, you're not a girl, uh, so may- maybe I'm oh, not no, sure. Definitely in that case, uh, especially since we no longer could be on the hot tub uh, hot tub channel of uh, Twitch. Well. Well, I mean, we could. Attitude. I mean, we could, but I think people would be paying us to uh, put our clothes back on. I mean, there, there's somebody out there for everybody. Some people would find us attractive. I know I or find you attractive. Help, help. We gave it <laughs> last five minutes in the new uh, episode. Help. I, I mean, yes, but also, technically, we've been talking for... Uh, hang on, let me pour coffee over my 45 new minutes. laptop. <laughs> oh, God. Please, no. I don't know. We might have enough Franken content already from the Craig recording that it would be okay. But you probably don't want to waste your money like that. Oh, uh, it's weird. I, I got this uh, laptop from you guys, and it had coffee in it. I don't know <laughs> what your QA is doing. <laughs> or maybe the FedEx guy. So why don't uh, I mean I have given bits and pieces of your tale oh, okay. over the so, weeks, but from your perspective, what's what's been going on, buddy? Well. I've gotten to the point where I'm not buying another piece of Gigabyte's fucking hardware at this point. Oh, and by the way, there's going to be some cursing because I have a month of ha- and a half of, uh, of uh, yeah, tension built up. So, uh, the week before our last game club that was due to go down, which we'll be talking about that later, uh, I decided since summer's coming and I was having some issues with the case fans, uh, install a couple extra case fans in... Uh, the problem I was having with the, the fans on the computer was uh, the power hub that they were all hooked into, the ones that came stock on the case, I could just never get it to work. I'm not sure if I just have a bad hub or what, so pulled them uh, from the hub, and I ran them to a splitter on uh, that went to the motherboard directly, and I put two uh, uh, more case fans in the top, blowing out to... Uh, get some more cooling because, you know, summer's going to be a bitch on a computer. Especially ones that, you know, doesn't have proper uh, ventilation like mine was having. I mean, I was still not having any thermal issues, but, you know, I didn't want to, you know, risk it. So, kind of, uh, you know, sealed my fate when I said, you know, uh, well, the, uh, I got the fans in without really any issue. This should be all right. 
because I had to pull the front of the case off, had to pull the top of the case off, was able to remove a couple extra screws, so I was able to act, uh, uh, enable the ability to pull the uh, the filters out of the front and the top of the case to be able to clean them a lot easier without just ripping the entire thing off, because when I originally put the computer together, I was just you know, getting a little frustrated and tired just trying to get everything working. So, get the new fans in, get the... Uh, Everything's hooked up to the uh, to the system fan headers on the motherboard. Before I did that, I made sure that all the power was under the the requirements of those headers, which is one amp. The top fans and the front fans are both under that, and they were going to different headers. Plug up everything, turn on the computer, nothing. Well, first thought, well, okay, I don't have a uh, something plugged in, right? Uh, yeah, ch- start checking my cables. Then I notice. An error light. And it's showing red on the CPU. So I start digging through the motherboard's uh, manual. And they have a whole two paragraphs about the error uh, troubleshooting lights. And one of the paragraphs just lists off uh, the fact that there is the uh, error lights on the motherboard. Doesn't even mention if having a red light on uh, that is good or not. It is incredibly shitty documentation. And it gives me no option to really try to troubleshoot it because, okay, is this good? Is this bad? I actually showed Jared the page of the manual. And there's more blank space on that page than there is actual info. I mean, vouch for me here, right? Yeah. Yeah, you did. It was pointless documentation. So okay. Barely did, documentation at all. Yeah, so oh, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, so start doing basic troubleshooting. Check all my uh, cable connections. Make sure everything's plugged in. Uh, start swapping around the RAM to try to rule that out, even though it's showing a red light on CPU. The documentation doesn't tell me if that's a means that the CPU is passing the test or if it is a uh, fault on the CPU. Mind you, when I plugged everything in, first of all, I grounded myself, even though, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, static, I've never had an issue with static charge. So, grounded myself, was never around uh, uh, the CPU, never actually even unseated the CPU until way, way, way after the fact. Um, started trying to troubleshoot everything. Uh, slowly started ruling out stuff. Started Googling stuff. And all my Googling showed one of two possibilities. Either the CPU went tits up or the motherboard fraud. Well, my bet was, okay, uh, the motherboard was not up to spec as it should have been. Even though, you know, everything in the... Uh, that uh, the specs on the website said it should be able to handle that power. It probably either can't or I had, you know, like a capacitor or something that was, you know, just not able to hold it or a resistor or who knows what, right? Yeah. Uh, on that power, on one of the power rails and it just, you know, decided to die. So, and what's sad was I didn't get, you know, a nice little puff of smoke or burning or anything. It's just, so contact Gigabyte. This was, yeah late april right yeah it took them four or five days to respond uh then i had to do a back and forth with them it took them it took me well over a week to actually get to the point where they would uh yeah uh clear the rma and of course i had to send her across the country because of course right yeah so they get it like they get it on a thursday i'm going to say and i'm just going to pull up a calendar i could just look at my 
shipping info, but that would be far too precise. I want to say they got it on like the 6th of May, but they didn't process it till the following Wednesday, another six days. Then it took them a week to, uh, you know, even get back to me to say that, you know, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. So eventually they sent me a whole new motherboard, including everything I'd sent minus the uh, original motherboard, which is actually an upgrade to the previous one. But, you know, it took them a month to do it. So get the new motherboard in, get it, the basics hooked in, the, uh, the boot drive, the RAM, video card, get everything hooked up. Plug in the processor. Same exact fucking error. And Gynamit was pretty pissed off at this point because, yeah, Gigabyte's uh, documentation just cost me a fucking month because there was no way for me to tell exactly what was going on. No way to know if it was no the way motherboard. To, no way to rule out really anything. Not without having uh, multiple parts on hand because if you'd had... You know, if you'd only yeah, had true. another CPU, but it's like most people don't don't have that. Most people buy their stuff and put it together. So you need reliable documentation or at least something better than, hey, yeah, these like, lights exist. Yeah. Oh, and what's even better is the documentation for the new uh, motherboard. Unless I miss it in that manual. Mind you, they sent me just the motherboard in the new box. They did not send me the documentation for it. They did not send me any more wiring or anything. Just that in a uh, stat- anti-static bag. Which, it is nice that they sent me my original anti-static bag uh, back, because I actually had to get more because I couldn't find the original one that, they, uh, that came with the motherboard. So that cost me like another two or three days. Uh, but the new manual doesn't even mention the lights at all, unless I'm just overlooking it on the PDF. Which is just, uh, right? Yeah. So, Gigabyte's hardware... It works good until it doesn't, and then you are utterly and completely fucked if you're trying to figure out what's going on with it, unless you have additional hardware to try to troubleshoot it. Stay away from Gigabyte. So, at this point, yeah, I really should have just dug out the old computer, because it's over in the corner, buried under a bunch of shit, but, you know, I didn't expect them to take a month to get my, uh, to get a motherboard back to me. Hell, it, I didn't expect them to take two weeks to even start, uh, start the process between the lag time from sending an email and uh, including the lag time of them receiving it to when they actually said, not even working on it, processed. Because that's the other thing, is I sat there for a week watching the, the FedEx, uh, sh- or sorry, the USPS shipment, uh, say, okay, they've received it, but I'm looking at my uh, RMA ticket and seeing... Yeah, they haven't even received it yet. And, you know, that time is ticking down because you only have 30 days on the RMA before the ticket's no longer valid and you have to start the process all over again. But I don't have the fucking piece of hardware. Right, because you sent it to them. Yeah. So, uh, contact AMD because that's the next most likely uh, piece. And, you know, I am starting to run out of major components to send off because next up would be, I guess, the... Uh, well, the power supply? Question mark at this point. Yeah, maybe RAM. Although you you had told me that you tested. Oh the oh I went one uh, piece of, or one stick of RAM. I tested all the different slots uh, on the original motherboard. To be fair, I didn't do on this one because right. Yeah. Uh, then I swapped out, tried it again, and hell, I even tried it with no RAM in it whatsoever. 
just to see if it would give me a different error, and it didn't. And my old motherboard on the old computer, uh, to give you an idea of what I'm going from to this uh, utter piece of garbage, uh, it has an LED display on it, uh, and a, a seven-segment d- display on it, that actually, as it uh, goes through the boot process, it starts counting up, and if it hits an error, it'll freeze that display, and you look in the mother in the motherboard's manual, and you can see something like 15, 20 different entries in whatever number it's on. That's exactly the error. Go from that yeah. to four ambiguous LEDs. Yeah, very displeased. Yeah, my motherboard has got an LED display on it as well that does, yeah. does the same thing. Yeah, next time I uh, buy a motherboard, looking at the documentation and trying to figure out, uh, you know, just how terrible it would be to try to troubleshoot. So, but in good comparison, okay, so I sent off the processor last Friday, or last, now I'm, now this one I really want to double check something, because uh, this is just the difference between Gigabyte and AMD on uh, the process. And while I will buy AMD again, even if the processor is at fault here. So, wait for it, wait for it. So, I sent the CPU out on Wednesday the 2nd of June, okay? I dropped mm-hmm. it off at the local Dollar General because that's the closest place I could uh, do it without you know going a fair distance to find a Dropbox. And that does add a day to it because FedEx doesn't check every Dollar General into... Uh, they act as a drop-off site. AMD got the processor Monday, yesterday, and I got a message today saying that it has gone through uh, the RMA process, They uh, and they are sending me a replacement today, and I'll have it at, supposedly within a week. So, yeah, right? Yeah. So I guess the moral of the story is stay away from Gigabyte. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I don't know if I've ever bought anything from Gigabyte. I don't know. I haven't any of my gpus uh not a motherboard uh, it does seem like i have the worst luck with motherboards i should have just not listened to you when you suggested a motherboard and i'm joking because, <laughs> uh, because uh this uh, uh this motherboard is one i already picked down you just said yeah that's good sure i never listened to that <laughs> yeah now the, the b450s are loved by the the gaming community for a, a good meeting of price point and features yeah, but non-documentation, it seems. Apparently not. Yeah, but so, I yeah. don't have a B450 anymore. No, you've got, uh, what is it, the B570? B, uh, B5 something. One of no, the, I, the... No, I have an X578. Uh, oh, okay. So even was, higher than I was thinking. I, I, yeah, I was looking around for the, uh, the box that came in. Uh, the uh, the X578 uh, uh, Aloris Elite, so... Yeah, I was looking at one of the Aorus boards for my... My next build. Try to decide if I'm gonna go AMD or or Intel. It'll it'll depend on where stuff is at when I actually go to pick it up. Because I mean, I'm not gonna buy a brand new CPU. Like, there's no point. GPU maybe within like one version, but CPU G, or GPUs are more often your bottleneck than your CPU. Yeah. So I don't. Uh, although I do want to get the uh the threadripper the amd threadripper i don't need it but it just like so many epeen points like oh yes i've got a threadripper i've got 32 physical cores and 64 logic cores what are you gonna do now bitch yeah what i was looking at whenever I, yeah after 
well, after I calmed down, because I was livid uh, whenever I saw the error uh, message or error light again. Uh, livid slash uh, just, uh, yeah, disheartened. Let's yeah. try and figure out the next uh, thing, because it would be either pull the, uh, the video card out of the, uh, the old computer, set up the, or sorry, the new computer, uh, set up the old computer, which, mind you, I also kind of broke uh, the plastic support in there on the uh, PCI Express slot. Yeah. So it would be iffy. I mean, it would still work if it's uh, you know, bolted in, but yeah, it's a lot less secure because it just wouldn't, uh, wouldn't open up completely just because it's been in there for ages. Uh, get a El Cheapo CPU uh, and see it, you know, use that as troubleshooting while I'm doing an RMA. Which, mind you, I would have probably gone around this time. Or just uh, do what I did and get a cheap laptop. Which is actually still a decent little thing. So I ended up just going for the more expensive but less wasteful option. Yeah. Short of, uh, you know, making do with what I have. And of course, uh, you know, assuming that the old computer still runs because, yeah, with my luck right now, right? <laughs> yeah. So I just looked. I didn't actually know how much Threadripper costs. Uh, five grand if I want the top end Threadripper 64 core 128 thread processor. Five grand. Uh, new or eBay? New. On eBay, you're, well, uh, to be fair, I don't know which one is the top end, but Threadrippers are a few hundred. But they I mean, get... I mean, I'm not afraid to buy used mm-hmm. hardware. I mean, I'm kind of glad that I didn't get my CPU used because, yeah, I could, uh, yeah, calling the warranty on it yeah so the top end threadripper on ebay i don't see it they've got the second line one the uh 32 core 64 thread one for 2200 dollars but uh yeah (laughs) i don't i don't need this i won't be buying it but boy it would it would feel good to be like yeah i got a threadripper in there yeah, so many cores. Yeah, at least until you lose in the divorce settlement. That's that's true. I'm and I mean to be fair, if I buy that, Katie deserves to to take it from me out of spite in the divorce. <laughs> oh, but I shan't be doing that. All right, let's let's go let's go talk about the stuff on the show, the games and things. Although I played a game. You watched a gaming-related movie. Yeah, because I have been gaming on the Switch and doing some mobile gaming, but uh, the primary game I've been playing, well, I've been playing Animal Crossing and I've been playing something else, and I'm still in the tutorial phase of this something else, and I'm 8 to 10 hours in, not counting just redos. I think on the timer I'm like eight and a half, and I still don't have one of the options on the main menu. Yeah. I will say JRPG, so yeah, about par for the course. I was going to say, I think anyone who's played the genre would know, like, as soon as you're like, oh yeah, I'm eight hours in and I'm still in the tutorial, it's like, ah, yes, JRPG. Either JRPG or GTA. Or obscure strategy game. But y- your choices are limited. So either do you want or, me to go... F- either that or I'm a gaming journalist and I'm playing Cuphead. hi Do you Do you want me to go first, since you just talked about your your... Yeah, go ahead. Adventures? Okay. So, I have been playing uh, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, um, which in case 
anyone doesn't know, that's the trilogy, the Mass Effect trilogy that they just recently released, the remastered versions of the game. Um, although there's a little bit more going on under the hood than just a remaster. Because uh, I think remaster just tends to imply like they made it look prettier. But they did some tweaks under the hood, and especially on, on the first game in the trilogy and, and some other stuff. And I was hoping to have beaten all three games. I've been playing them <coughs> very heavily for about three weeks. Or not three weeks, for about two weeks. I was hoping to beat all three of them. I have not. Um, but I... I want to talk about it because I've had this stuff floating around in my head for a couple of weeks and I need to sort of get it out and then I can come back and, and maybe talk about it again once I've beaten all three games and talk about some different aspects than what I'm going to talk about today. Because what I'm going to talk about today is the remaster, the changes that they made to the games, and then some very big picture stuff. I don't think I'm going to be spoiling anything and normally I wouldn't worry about spoilers for a series of games that are this old, but I've seen lots of people who are like, you know, have always wanted to play these, but the first game is unplayable, so I never have, and now I am. And I don't know if anybody that's listening is is there, but, you know, just to be on the safe side, I don't think I'm going to spoil anything. Um, I'm just going to be very big picture. So, so I'll start with... So, is your favorite uh, game on the Citadel? <laughs> I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite trilogy on the Citadel. Um, but... Anyways, the the remaster itself, what they did for all three games, they all three did get graphical improvements. Mass Effect 1 is the most notable. They redid... And I, I don't know exactly what the entire process was. I'm saying that they redid the whole game. That may not be technically correct, but they put it into a different engine <clears throat> um, and re... Uh, remastered all the textures, remastered all the effects, put some more modern touches on it in terms of lighting and, and you know, how technology has come along in terms of, like, lighting effects and high dynamic range. And they did some things, like, the the original Mass Effect, the, the colors are very muted, very washed out. And I don't know if that was an artistic choice or if it was just a technical limitation, but they're much more vibrant. Um, and the game looks so much better. All three games look better. You can look at them side by side with the original releases and you can see that they look better. Mass Effect 1, night and day difference. It's crazy how bad the original Mass Effect looks in comparison to to this, you know, re-release or remaster. And for the time, Mass Effect 1 looked fine. It wasn't a bad looking game for the time. But boy howdy, we've come a long way in, you know, like 12 or 13 years since the original release for the first time. They also made a bunch of improvements to the UI for Mass Effect 1. I, I wish they would have done that, those improvements for all three games. Mass Effect 2 and 3 kept their UI. Mass Effect 1 got a completely overhauled UI that has some elements from the Mass Effect 2 and 3 UI in terms of how it displays the character portraits for your companions and the way that it presents information on screen, like your health and shield. But they they redesigned the entire UI for character upgrades and weapon upgrades, customization and stuff. And it looks really nice and it handles really well and is very responsive and better than Mass Effect 2. And Mass Effect 3 is such a different ball game. I'm not sure if it would have worked, but it, it would have been nice to have seen those improvements in other areas too. Um, they fixed a lot of bugs or perhaps issues that were caused by technical limitations. Mass Effect 1 is janky as hell. Um, so many frame rate dips and weird issues with stuttering and effects not displaying properly. Like I can very specifically like remember certain scenes in the game where that you 
I played through Mass Effect 1 a ton of times while I was in high school, because Mass Effect 1 came out while I was in high school. Um, so, you know, all the time in the world to play video games. And I can, you know, getting to certain scenes in this playthrough, being like, okay, I remember this being, like, janky as hell, and it would be perfect. Crisp, smooth, 60, or or better. Um, none of those things were an issue. So that's good that they fixed those technical limitations. Lots of bugs were fixed from the original game, um, like items disappearing from your inventory or having weird issues with like uh, falling through objects or getting stuck in infinite loading screens. Those things have been fixed. There have been stuff was kept. A lot of the, the stuff that I think was really charming in mass effect one were there to hide like loading screens and stuff. Um, for example, I think the one that everybody knows in mass effect one is that whenever you go in the elevators, on the Citadel, um, your companions will talk to each other or there will be new segments that play that are kind of based on some of the more recent quests that Shepard has just completed. And uh, those things are still there, but the game loads much faster, either on modern hardware or just through streamlining and fixing things or probably both. And there's just there's a little prompt in the corner <coughs> where you can press X to skip it. Uh, well, I was using a controller to press X, but... You know, it's got a keyboard button too that you could skip them, but you yeah, can just keyboards stay. Keyboards do have a button. Keyboards do have buttons. They have a lot of them. Uh, but that is that is uh, there if you want to skip them. But I chose to stay and listen, and it's still faster, anyways, because I remember from Mass Effect One on on Xbox 360, you would get in the elevator, they would have their their talking, which would be 15, 20 seconds, and then you would wait another 20 or 30 seconds while it finished loading. And in this, it's you get in, they have their 15 to 20 seconds of talking, and then it immediately, you know, the elevator comes to the floor that you were going to or, or whatever. So there's other little things in there as well that were like that. Um, and things that'll pop up. It's like, oh, you can skip this if you want. And it's like, okay, this clear, this was used back in the day to hide a loading screen or something. And I was, I really noticed lots, because I, I pay attention to this sort of stuff more now than I used to. Um, I've really noticed in level design, especially for Mass Effect 1, how that they would hide stuff so that the game would have time to load assets when you couldn't see them pop in. Like, especially on on the Citadel, um, on what's called the Presidium level, which is like the high class, you know, really nice part of this space station, is that there's a bridge that you have to go across to get... It's split in two, and there's a bridge you have to go across to get to the other side. And there's a wall that blocks the or like a like a support pillar that's right there that you have to walk around and it hides the other side of the bridge from whichever direction you're coming from and immediately i'm like oh that's a trick to hide pop in whenever you run around this thing and so they don't have to stop you to throw up a loading screen so that's neat so you know seeing things like that i i've mentioned this on the show before long time ago i wrote my master's thesis on the mass effect trilogy for the psychology of video games and so, or um, that that was what my master thesis was: the psychology of video games. And I wrote it uh, about the Mass Effect trilogy. And so, there's a lot of that I've studied in this game as far as like character development and stuff goes. But back then, which has been oh many years ago now, <laughs> so many years ago, um, I wasn't paying attention to game design elements. And so, seeing stuff like that was it was a really neat revelation for me from this series that I still already knew so much about. So there's that. That kind of covers Mass Effect 1, Mass Effect 2, and 3. Like I said, they also received graphical improvements. 
you can see in a direct comparison um, the differences, but it's a little bit harder to just catch because it's it's more subtle. Bye, well, Craig. Well, some things haven't changed. <laughs> some things never change, right? Yeah. But anyways, um, so improvements there, bug fixes, um, higher frame rates make the gameplay better, um, smoother, obviously, naturally. Also known as duh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the game loads pretty quickly. Um, I've got it installed on my hard drive because I don't have enough free SSD space to have it installed on an SSD. I was pretty impressed with the load times. It just devours RAM. I don't know how much of this game is being put in RAM, but Mass Effect, I, I've got it to use. I'm yes. sure it's using some kind of like scaling, but you know, I've got 32 gigs of RAM and Mass Effect will easily take up 14 or 15 gigs of RAM. Um, you know, you can watch it in Task Manager how much it takes up. So that's probably part of it. It does one initial load from the launcher and then everything else is really snappy. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with that. That's nice. Uh, that's a good feature. Um, otherwise, some things that I came to very generally speaking that I was surprised about. Mass Effect 1 is this, has the second best combat system. Everyone always says Mass Effect 1's combat system is terrible, and Mass Effect 2's was awesome, and 3's was perfect. And Mass Effect 2's combat system is terrible. Because it's in that weird transition phase between what they were trying to do with sort of an action RPG system, but like sticking true to an RPG system with the depth of the, and availability of the powers that all of the classes have to the much more action-oriented system of Mass Effect 3, where that you've got powers, but they're really fast and flashy and simple. Um, but it, it feels really good because the combat is so you know quick, and they, they've pretty much abandoned most of the RPG elements in all, but sort of some simple passive boosts that leveling up gives you. And Mass Effect 2 is right in the middle, and it doesn't know what it wants to be, and it, the combat is suffers for it. It's not bad. The combat in Mass Effect 2 is not bad, but it's as clunky as Mass Effect 1 without the depth of Mass Effect 1. But it's faster than Mass Effect or but it's but it's as fast as Mass Effect 3 without the powers and actual combat systems responding as quickly as Mass Effect 3. If that makes sense. The the only thing that Mass Effect 2 does better than Mass Effect 1 in a combat sense is that it gets rid of the weird sticky cover system. Cuz in Mass Effect 1 you just walk up to some cover with your weapon drawn and you automatically take cover on it. And that can get really frustrating and occasionally get you killed. Mass Effect 2. Yeah. Mass Effect 2 does away with that, but everything else is just as clunky about Mass Effect 2's combat. Um, as you know, compared to Mass Effect 1, uh, Mass Effect 1 is very obviously trying to be an RPG. Um, Mass Effect has got this reputation, I think, that's built up over time of the Renegade Paragon system for its, like, morality choices being like, oh, yes, if you pick the blue choice, it's always good, and if you pick the red choice, it's always bad. And that is more or less true for Mass Effect 2 or 3, 2 and 3. Both of those games still have their moments where that you do something that's considered, quote, Renegade, but it actually is, I think, a more moral choice than not picking it or picking the the Paragon choice. But in Mass Effect 1, those systems are persuade and intimidate. And so you can persuade people into doing bad things or intimidate them into doing good things. And a lot more of those dialogue choices are, are much more ambiguous and a lot deeper, uh, which kind of 
kind of surprised me. It's been a long time since I'd played, and I had forgotten some of that stuff. So that was nice to see. Um, the Legendary Edition includes all of the DLC, except for one for the original Mass Effect that BioWare didn't actually create. It was farmed out to a third-party developer, and the code was corrupted when they got it to put in the game. So that was, it was left out. Um, uh, which one? Uh, it's like a, a combat, hang on, Mass Effect DLC. I want to say it's like Farpoint Station or something like that, but that's, that's wrong. I think it's fair that I ask. Yeah, no, it is fair that you ask. Let me, I'm looking it up here. Let's see. DLC for Mass Effect 1. Bring down the sky. That's in there. Pinnacle Station is what it's called. So I was half right with the station. Uh, Pinnacle Station is a combat-focused um, DLC where that uh, Shepard goes to compete in essentially like, you know, a, a, an Olympic Games of elite Special Forces troops. And you fight in like all these simulated exercises uh, to try to get the highest score, basically. And then there's some rewards that you get mm-hmm. for, for winning. Um but it's its code was corrupt when they got it back or got the got the code from the third party developer that that made it and they said it would have taken six uh to eight months of development time to rebuild it and they decided not to do that. It might come later as an update. That has been speculated. I don't know if that's the case or not, but <clears throat> regardless, you can you can find Pinnacle Station and Mass Effect three as like mm-hmm. a, a destroyed thing. Um, like, it's like, oh, yes, here lies Pinnacle Station, destroyed in a war, but... Uh, well, this is just the state of the code that we got it in, so we didn't really change anything. <laughs> Very true. Very good, yes. Good point. Um, but yeah, that's, that's there. Uh, Mass Effect 3 does this frustrating thing where that about half of the dialogue that Shepard says is you don't get to make a choice on what he says. And that's in the mode that's like, I want the full dialogue RPG experience. <laughs> um, and that just, I think, goes to show, again, they had drifted so far away from the original RPG roots of Mass Effect, which I found that more frustrating than I remembered. So that was a little bit of an interesting experience. Honestly, but, the more I hear about Mass Effect 3, even you know, years after it with the remaster, uh, makes me glad I never played it because I think I would have been sorely disappointed. Because I really liked one. I was lukewarm on two just because of them really stepping away from the RPG elements. It's sort of like how uh, I've kind of uh, divorced myself from the Far or sorry, the Fallout series because they moved further and further to from RPG with uh, uh, shooting elements. Mind you, I did not play the old isometric. Uh, you know, uh, Fallout games one and two, and you know uh, the spinoffs back then. Uh, so my entry was with Fallout Three. They've gone yeah. from you know a lot stronger RPG elements with some light shooting to you know some light RPG elements uh, with uh, actually a decent combat system. But uh, don't know what happened with Seventy Six. But in in it. comparison to sort of compare those two experiences side by side. Mass Effect 3 is a vastly superior shooter in its sort of third-person shooter genre to what Fallout 4 is as a shooter. Yeah, but you know um, what I'm uh, saying and uh, comparing the two. How I do know uh, what you're saying. How they've watered down one element to uh, appeal to a more 
broader audience uh, and kind of really alienated those who really wanted to experience the series full out or all the way through. Sort of like how, um, well, another one, uh, uh, to, uh, just go back to EA, uh, the Dragon Age series, how the original one, at least on PC, because mind you, uh, the PC version had uh, isometric option as well. Yeah. Which I don't think that the consoles had, or the consoles had a watered down version of, where it felt more like a CRPG. Uh, and it just seems like, the latest in, uh, the v- latest version of Inquisition, uh, there's story missions, and then there's go collect bear asses. Yeah. True. Oh, I, I didn't talk about Inquisition. I beat Inquisition uh, during your computer dead period. I gotta talk about that maybe next week or in a well, couple weeks. Refresh myself. Weeks because we got E3 coming up. So That's I picked, true. That's I true. picked a, you know, a good time to come back. We get to be bored by E3 and then look forward to Devolver <laughs> and then, yep, yep. And then really that's about it for E3, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Uh, oh, and also, yeah, roll our eyes at what Nintendo does and then, yeah, then make fun of the uh, the Nintendo Switch or Switch Plus or whatever the hell they're going to announce. Yeah. Even though, this... uh, even though I don't think they'll have the, uh, uh, the demo's name if the rumors for Steam's handheld is true. Yeah. So to to sort of bring it home and kind of wrap this up for for Mass Effect this week, I'll be talking about these ga- the games. I think more individually over the next few weeks as I beat the third one and coalesce my thoughts. Mass Effect Three is much 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 longer than I remember it being. Uh, Mass Effect One it took me about twenty somewhere between twenty five and thirty hours to beat, and I didn't do everything. I didn't do every single quest, but I did all the main quests. I did the DLC that was present, um, and then I did sort of some of the more major quests, major side quests, and I'm like, okay, these are the things that set up stuff in Mass Effect 2. Um, so I, I did all of those. It took me about 25, 30 hours to beat. Mass Effect 2 took me about 35 hours to get through. Mass Effect 3, I'm at the 40-hour mark, and I'm two-thirds of the way through the game. I'm in Act 3. Mass Effect 3, though, has four acts. Um, you know, you, in a traditional three act structure, you got the inciting accident, um, the, the rise, rising of stakes, getting towards the climax, and then the resolution in the third act as it falls off. Four act structure, you have two resolutions. You have an internal conflict and an external conflict that you have to, uh, resolve. And I'm in act three doing the stuff that resolves the internal conflict for Shepard's character. And then act four is the final bit of the game. I, I won't say any more to avoid spoilers, but it, it's the last few missions of the game that, you know, ties it all together. Um, like a, so, like in the dude's apartment. <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, I'm, I'm in the third act of Mass Effect 3. So, um, yeah, you got a little, little uh, I guess, like, I don't know, dear listener, a little bit on it, but information on story structure. But Mass Effect 3 is much longer, and I have thoughts on that that have to do with EA meddling with things with DLC. But when I talk about the specific game, I'll get into that, because there are massive spoilers that have to come that, that come along with that. So, overall, I have thoroughly been enjoying my experience so far. It's great, and it I've still there's still stuff for me to learn from these games, and to approach things in different ways, because games are inherently political, because all art is... 
And given how the last few that years you, uh, that games shouldn't be political or is a fucking idiot. Indeed. But, you know, given how the last few years have been in the world, but especially in America, certain themes that were always present in the game take on a much bigger meaning. Especially, like, some stuff in the second... Is it the second one or the third one? I think it's the second game, where they talk about fascism. Oh, Just, yeah. Just, blew me by. You know, like, I, I vaguely remember that, but, like, now it's like, oh, shit, yeah. Like, the idea of, like, a police state and fascism and... You know, how yeah, did they call poli- that one, huh? Yeah. How politicians will use a crisis to uh, entrench themselves and even greater power. And there's a lot of racism in Mass Effect. Just a bunch. It's like it's presented as like human versus alien racism. But it's one of those things. It's like, ah, yes, this is a great lens to reflect the racism that we uh, see now. And like, that's a theme that kind of. Hits me sort of how Star now. Trek used to do it as well. Yeah. So, good stuff. Good stuff in that series. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be spoiling the games and talking about each of them individually in more depth, I think, over the coming weeks. But for now, that's that's where I'll leave it. It was a great purchase. Anyone who likes the, the trilogy but hasn't played it in a long time, it's a great way to play it. Anyone who's never played it before, this is really the only way that you should play it. Certain... The multiplayer is gone now for Mass Effect 3. They just took it out of the game because all the back-end support for it doesn't exist anymore. So did they just uh, give you all the bonuses? Because was it the multiplayer in Mass Effect 3 a requirement for... Or not a requirement, but pseudo-requirement for the good ending? Yes and yes. They they just give you all the bonuses and it was a pseudo-requirement because you only... Without engaging in the multiplayer, you got like there was this thing called like a war readiness bonus and you, it was capped at 50% if you didn't play multiplayer. So it was possible to get the good ending without playing multiplayer, but you had to like quote unquote, make all the right choices to, to get that score up the highest. So yeah, that's, that's all gone now. Good riddance. Anyways, but I like the mass effect three multiplayer, but I, I, uh, but also it kind of sucks to be tied into a multiplayer uh, or multiplayer game. Or multiplayer mode to get the good ending in a single player game. Yeah. It should sure. have been completely optional in my mind, but then less people would have been playing it. It should have been. And there should have been other things in Mass Effect 3 that weren't completely optional. Hint, hint, certain DLCs, EA, you fucking bastards. But that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm overplaying my hand right now. Uh, no no spoilers. Now, now, now I'm trying to remember, was it Jim Sterling or Total Biscuit that got really pissed about that? And I'm leaning towards Total Biscuit. Honestly, it might have been both of them. Yeah, but I, I think it was Total Biscuit that got really outspoken about that one. I mean... Uh, damn, I missed that Magnificent Bastard. I do, too. I can't I can't keep talking, because if I do, I'm gonna... I'll, I'll be here all night. So, well, when, when I talk about Mass Effect 3, specifically, individually, there will be, you know, a spoiler... A, a massive spoiler warning, and I'll, I'll get into it. But for now, I'm just gonna leave it. So what did, what did you get up to? What was the thing that uh, you so, watched? So, uh, just a couple of nights ago, partly to tease Anita, but partly, you know, morbid curiosity. For our movie date night, we watched Sonic the Hedgehog. It was on Hulu, so, you know, it's not like it was costing us anything. And, really, Craig? Really? <laughs> he came back. Uh, I guess uh, Craig wanted to hear about Sonic the Hedgehog. 
Way to go, Craig. Uh, so, uh, and we figured it couldn't be as bad as Super Bad because, oof, that movie did not age uh, uh, well, or I should say, age uh, with us. I never seen it, and Anita loved it back in the day. And uh, let's just put it this way: we made it about ten minutes in before we agreed. Yeah, let's not suffer through this anymore. Yeah, I didn't like Super Bad when it released. I can't imagine how bad it is now. Let's just super put, bad. Ah, yeah. L- l- let's just put it this way: uh, there's a lot of things in like the first ten, fifteen minutes that you're you're thinking, "Oh, damn! This could be on so many lists and so many sex registries <laughs> or sex offender registries." Because oof, yeah. And it probably doesn't help that Anita has to deal with middle school kids, so yeah, that sort of humor is probably worn her on her anyway. And I was mm-hmm. never particularly a fan of. Eh. So we watched Sonic the Hedgehog, and I've used this phrase with you, and I've used it with her. This movie has no business being as good as it as it was. Was it a masterpiece? No, but they also do some interesting things to try to explain some of the mythos about. Uh, the game world uh, or try, uh, try to t- tie the game world to make sense like why Sonic is so obsessed with rings uh, they didn't really explain you know how he doesn't kill himself whenever he rolls up into a ball and attacks something but then they just hang a lipshade on it like I have no idea how I'm not dead yeah <laughs> and it was fun now to be fair if it was that weird uh, scream yourself awake nightmare hedgehog that they originally we're going to have in this movie. I think it would have detracted quite a bit from it, but where they went with the more uh, modern interpretation of Sonic to, uh, yeah, the skinny long leg version uh, uh, from the later games, it actually kind of works. So I'm trying to think of a good way to really talk about this without just, uh, well, let's just dive straight into spoiler territory. They don't really go too much into what Sonic is. They just say that he has this amazing power and leave it that and leave it mysterious. And, yeah. And they make him an alien because why not? Because they need a reason to bring him to Earth, but they don't really want to go down the sciencey rabbit hole of, well, he's a mutant or whatever. So, okay, Space Hedgehog, fine. And the rings are teleportation devices uh, that he's been using to try to stay hidden because he has this awesome power question mark about whatever the hell it is outside of gotta go fast which is gonna say gotta go fast which they actually do use the phrase gotta go fast at one point when he has kind of like this nervous breakdown because he spent all these years hidden away from society on different planets and has been earth terrorizing this uh one guy crazy carl (laughs) yeah I forgot about that guy. I watched so this this was the last movie that I saw in theaters before COVID. I took my son to see it um, uh, opening week or week something like that, like pretty much right after it came out. Um, and that that was it. That was the last movie I saw in theaters, and I was not disappointed. I was I was never sure how much of the sort of good time experience I had was because I went to go see a movie with my son, and he thought it was awesome. And there's something about I would say watch know, it on Hulu if you have Hulu. Yeah, we do. Uh, yeah. uh, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I had a good time in the movie. Yeah, and Jim Carrey actually is, I would say, late 90s Jim Carrey. He's not full-on peak, uh, but he has this sort of 
late Ace Ventura uh, plus evil Tony Stark thing going on that is fun. Yeah. Where he's this super genius that is uh, this awesome secret agent slash scientist that has been going around the world solving problems and uh, Sonic calls uh, essentially an EMP, a massive one uh, 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 in the Midwest or far Midwest uh, towards the West Coast and they send him to try to figure it out and he figures out Sonic has like this unlimited potential for energy and he's wanting to capture it to essentially replace mankind with his robots. Yeah. And it's just a fun romp. It's not terribly deep, but it has heart. And it has some actually very good laugh out moments. Uh, Especially with uh, the (laughs) sister-in-law. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I like. I. How did you feel about the bullet time scene? Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Our scenes—they do a couple of them. Well, considering Sonic uh, goes so fast, I-, I could see that as a way to show him going super fast, but not, you know, make it just a blur on screen. So I think that's probably the better option to uh, uh, try to depict, uh, you know, just Sonic doing his thing. Outside of just, you know, a blur and then that's it. I like how they kind of uh, showed it where they'll do this, you know, the bullet time slow-mo. And then, uh, you know, they cut away and then you just see everything just go crazy. Like in the bar uh, that they stop uh, by this bar, biker bar. And then, of course, shenanigans t- take place because, of course. Right. And uh, they sh- have this long bullet time scene of him... Going through and essentially solving the fight, you know, uh, pushing uh, Donut Lord out of the way of a couple punches, which Anita loved uh, the term Donut Lord. <laughs> uh, uh, wrapped this one guy up in toilet paper, uh, tied a banner around a a fan that's a, a, a ceiling fan, and then it just cuts away from bullet time and you just see all hell break loose. <laughs> yeah. And I do like how they kind of tease Dr. Robotnik slowly morphing into the more familiar uh, depiction of him because the the teaser before the sequel hook has him go go from this little, like, you know, 1920s mustache to full-on, you know, uh, video game mustache. He's gone crazy. He's shaved his head. It looks like he's, like... uh, having some sort of allergic reaction to the to the well mushrooms a little bit of a spoiler there but what the hell yeah uh, and he's starting to puff up and he's building a jetpack to get back to earth <laughs> uh but yeah it was a great movie i'm glad that you liked it i mean when you asked me what i thought about it oh uh, i saw it on there and i thought oh should i subject her to this because uh, we've watched some uh late 90s uh early 2000s comedies and some of them definitely fall flat just you know changing taste and that sort of thing but yeah also you know just some of them just didn't click with this so this one was yo should i subject her to this because i remember uh seeing it on the show or for the show and especially that horrendous horrendous uh nightmare hog right yeah but it was good it was good 
as long as you, you know, like, uh, what was I said to you? As long as you accept it for what it is and mm-hmm. don't expect it to be, like, a masterpiece. Like, yeah, it's just it, a good, solid, fun movie. Yeah, and I do appreciate that they tried to explain some of Sonic, but they also didn't feel like uh, they needed to explain everything about him. I think that's kind of the uh, a lesson that uh, the newer Willy Wonka movie could have learned. Where you didn't need this tragic backstory. You just, you know, he could have been just a wacko. Yeah. I feel like they explained just what they needed to for the context of the movie, you know, and didn't overdo it otherwise, you know? They explained just enough for the movie's purposes and then left it alone. Mm-hmm. And I would be happy if they made a sequel. Oh, I would, well, I would... Oh, they are making a sequel. Oh, I haven't, I haven't checked in on that. Well, I checked un- in on it afterwards, and they do have a pretty big sequel hook at the end, not just with uh, Robotnik, but another character showing up. Yeah. Uh, and there's some word of another character showing up as well. And if you know one that's shown up, uh, you know, from at least from the Sega Genesis days, uh, the other one. Yeah. If if you know of Sonic, you could have a pretty educated guess about what characters are gonna gonna show mm-hmm. up uh, per the sequel hook. But you know, yeah, it was actually the sixth uh, gr- highest grossing movie in 2020. I do think a huge part of that is COVID. Yeah, true. But, you know, you know what? Good for them. Good for them. Yeah, let's see. Uh, to be fair, I haven't really watched any of these outside of Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing, though. So, Tenant, yeah. uh, uh, Bad Boys for Life, My People, My Homeland, The 800, and Demon Slayer, uh, Kimu no Yabaski, the movie, uh, Mugen Train. No idea what the hell that is. But yeah, 2020 is a weird year for movies in general, so, right? Yeah. Almost like there was something big going on throughout the entire year, right? Indeed. Almost like there was some kind of global thing, you know, global uh, event keeping us all busy. Oh, snap. Oh, let's just put this year, the previous year. uh, Avengers Endgame, Lion King, Frozen 2, uh are the top three with Spider-Man, uh, Far From Home, Captain Marvel, Joker, Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker, Toy Story 4, Aladdin, and Jumanji in the next level. And Disney had six of those, or sorry, seven of those. Not counting, yeah, right? Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Or I should say, distributor. Uh, Disney was seven of those. That's crazy. Disney is one of the biggest companies on the planet. Mm-hmm. They have their their mini fingers and mini pies. Yeah, it's kind of amazing what you could do with just three fingers, though. (laughs) And a thumb. That's all you need. Wink. All right. Well, let's let's move on. Let's talk about some news. Yeah, and we're diving back a little bit on this first one because it's one that kind of... uh, I've been keeping tabs somewhat on video game news, and this one kind of just irked me. Yeah, uh, Zelda Skyward Sword Loftwing Amiibo lets you skip a frustrating piece of game design. Okay, so... Take it away. So, uh, for full disclosure, I have not played the Skyward Sword Zelda game. Uh, This came out on Wii U, if I recall correctly. Or Wii U and um, uh, Wii. So, you know, it was in a, you know, one of the very, or that very lengthy gap in between uh, me owning Nintendo consoles and... Uh, 
one of the more annoying pieces of uh, the game is its fast travel system where you could fast travel from uh, the sky to the ground, if I recall correctly, the story at least, uh, but only at very set points, okay? Mm-hmm. And this is in the base game. This is in part. Uh, this is part of the remaster or remaster upgrade, whatever they're calling it. So, but they're selling their amiibo, where it bypasses the requirement to go to certain statues to enable the fast travel. It allows you to fast travel from anywhere. It's just why, right? Yeah. And of course, it's not even a cheap amiibo. It's twenty five pounds or twenty five dollars, if I recall correctly. It's an extra 10 or 15 over the standard price of Amiibos. And they're, of course, in limited supply because, you know, this is a uh, a release of an Amiibo for a remastered game. So, of course, they're not going to be as in great supply. They got snatched up very quickly by collectors and scalpers who are then racking up the prices because, of course, they are. Because, well, Tim Sterling uh, covered that one, right? <laughs> All too well. Yep. So, yeah, no. really, the only way to access this is to either pay an exorbitant fee or really go on Etsy and get a essentially a bootleg Amiibo with the functionality because there's this massive bootleg thing going on with Amiibos where people download the file from the Amiibo and because it's not a... Uh, it's a very open piece of software. It's yeah, just all you RF need is an ID. NFC. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and because they don't have it uh, encrypted, and they really can't these days, because it would break the uh, or break the functionality of uh, the 3DS and the Switch with new uh, Amiibos, because they just don't have the technology in them. Um, they can't uh, encrypt them or serialize them, so people just download the files off the web and use that uh, with a with the NFC tag. So that'd be really the only way you'd be able to do it is either do it yourself, which is actually not as difficult as it sounds, especially if you have an Android phone, or just you know, pay five, ten bucks on on Etsy, and I'm sure they have that. Yeah, looks like you can buy a reader writer that's rated fairly highly on Amazon for fifty bucks. Um, there's some cheaper ones as well that have got pretty good ratings. Uh, there's some that look like they might be scams for like six bucks, but yeah, you can get reader writers and a lot of them looks like a lot of these come with kits with little uh, like fobs that you can write to well that's so. the thing is that uh, if you have an android phone that has the ability to write nfc which most of them do that's been released in the last five ten years you can pay 10 bucks and get a bunch of stickers or a bunch of uh, tags and do it that way i did not know that my phone had that functionality yeah learn something new every day yeah it's the same technology that allows uh touchless pay that makes sense actually now that i now that you say that never really thought about it and put two and two together well i guess i'm gonna have a a new fun little pet project yeah let's put it this way uh there's actually uh, especially for animal crossing since there's a very large pool of amiibos and cards that uh that's been sold over the years that still has functionality even with the newer games uh, there's a large piracy part of uh, just going in and using uh, really just an Android phone to write just small decks of cards for different villagers and stuff. So there's that pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, well, it requires rooting the 
uh, phone, which I do have the spare phone uh, from when I upgraded my old one, uh, that you could do it with literally just an Android phone uh, because the one of the Switch updates, they made it where uh, they broke the functionality of being able to use an Android phone as a Joy-Con directly. But if you root the phone, you could rewrite its uh, Bluetooth uh, uh, tags and allow a, a switch to connect directly to a phone uh, via Bluetooth and see it as a Joy-Con with a, a couple particular apps. And then the app could also just load the Amiibo files directly because, of course, right? Nice. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this at some point because I mean we play a decent amount of Mario Party and Mario Kart as a family. Uh, and there's amiibo functionality in there. Might might see what uh, you know. Have some fun with it. Yeah, I took a look at this. Uh, actually, originally when I was, uh, I still need to actually go back to it. Uh, playing Breath of the Wild, and there's it's one of the games. I'm not counting Animal Crossing, which is kind of just a pill around project these days. Uh, it's one of the games that I have that has a lot of amiibo functionality where. Uh, Certain amiibos do certain things in it, not just cosmetic, but you know, actual game changing stuff. And I was looking into, you know, okay, well, how much would it be to actually do this? Then I kind of fell into the uh, the cards of uh, people that's been making and saw all the Animal Crossing stuff. Mm-hmm. And these decks of cards for Animal Crossing, you know, you'll see like all the uh, cards, and it's, you know, 20 bucks for a, a, an entire deck and it's a lot cheaper than what uh nintendo pay or sells these booster packs for and that's not just uh yeah uh the collectible uh craze going on from the pandemic where yeah targets uh, was a target that stopped selling pokemon cards altogether because of uh people being stupid about it oh yeah when the there were people who were like storming stores mm-hmm. to get pokemon cards and so people got hurt that was uh, a couple of weeks ago i believe yeah i wasn't sure of the timing on it because i caught it after the fact okay let's just put yeah. it this way um um the amiibos use a very particular tag that you'd have to get so um just look on amazon a 10 pack of cards that people print off uh, is seven bucks uh there's little PVC coins, think sort of pogs. Pogs! Yeah, they're back! A 50 pack of them for 12 bucks. This is the very particular NFC type that the Bebo's use, by the way. And some of them kind of sort of uh, advertise the fact that, oh yeah, we could use these with the Switch. There's tags that are, are keychains that would actually be really good for your functionality that you're wanting. Talking yeah. about, uh, yeah, for Mario Kart, just yeah, put them on your keychain, right? Yeah. It, it's kind of like this open secret after looking into it that, yeah, it's very easy to break this. And Nintendo's just hoping that people don't because they want uh, to sell the plastic figurines, which I will admit that some of the figurines are rather nice. But Nintendo, but Nintendo being Nintendo, you know, they have limited runs there. And if you miss that very limited run for, you know, whatever figure you want, you know, prepare to add a zero to the end of the price, right? Yeah. Assuming that's not I, still active. I have one Amiibo that I got as a uh, Christmas present several years ago. It's mm-hmm. it's Samus. 
Yeah, and the thing sure, is, I... does it have any functionality in the games that you play, right? Uh, only Smash Brothers. It does have functionality in Smash Brothers, but that's it. Actually, there might be other games, but that's the only game that I have that has functionality. Yeah, and uh, to be fair, I'm also just looking on Amazon. I'm sure that you could get these in bulk uh, a lot cheaper elsewhere. Like, uh, oh, here's one that somebody actually selling the the cards themselves preloaded. Uh, this is made particularly for Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, it looks like. Where it's all the cards that are just pirated right here. And it's 15 bucks, and it's all the ones that have functionality in the game. Mm-hmm. And what I bet you can't even get one of the Amiibos that have functionality for that. It's just, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, so. The Amiibos are one of those things that uh, kind of nice in idea. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, plastic figurine uh, stuff that you have, or I should say just say merchandise because it doesn't necessarily have to be a figurine. I could have alternate functionality, but Nintendo being Nintendo decides to convolute it to tie things to it that it really shouldn't have. And it just made it, ugh, right? Yeah. Artificial scarcity and ridiculous markups. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm sure that there's people that uh, weren't uh, wanted or wanted to just hold off on getting Breath, or sorry, not Breath of the Wild, but Skyward Sword. Because Skyward Sword, from what I recall, is uh, one of the more criticized uh, Zelda games because of some of the design choices that they made, and yeah, uh, I, and they would have held off on see how the uh, how the remaster did, but now yeah they're tying this yeah uh, quality of life feature to a scarcity thing. They have to jump on board and uh, at least get the uh, the tat to go along with it or miss out. Yep. And in general, the response I've seen has been like, that's stupid, but oh, Nintendo, like, broadly speaking. They're like, well, Nintendo does what it does. Yeah, it's like, no, just... this is not good. If EA did this, or Ubisoft, or uh, okay. Blizzard, Activision, everyone would, would not be giving them a pass on it. Nothing would change. Don't Don't get me wrong. Nothing, like, nobody would actually do anything substantial about it. But they wouldn't get a pass, whereas Nintendo gets a pass on a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's just put it this way: the Amiibo itself, uh, it was what twenty five bucks. Uh, it's going for sixty to seventy already, and the game's not even out yet. Yeah, and there's people that I uh, like. Here's one sixty bucks. Eleven have sold, and they still have. Well, it says limited quantity remaining, uh, 78% sold, but, oh, okay, they have three uh, available with 11 sold. So, goddamn scalper, right? Yep. Fucking scalping bastards. Mm-hmm. Bastards. But then you, uh, scroll down a little bit and you start seeing people selling the pirated, uh, uh Amiibo cards instead, uh, for five bucks. And it's just, eh, right? Yeah. Like, here's somebody that's selling the pre-order of uh, the uh, uh, of the uh, Amiibo. Not even the physical Amiibo for 60 bucks, Plus another 20 for shipping and handling. It's very expensive to be a, uh, you know, a diehard Nintendo fan, huh? Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, well. oh here's one that's $100 or best offer. Damn, right? Yeah. Some of them will get it, for sure. Oh, yeah. All right. Um... 
So let's let's go talk about our next topic. Uh, topic number two. Reports say 75% of mobile gaming pandemic boost will persist. Yeah, so this is a, uh, a report from the market intelligence from IDC, an advertising platform, LoopMe, uh, that uh, claimed that uh, this uh, this bump that they've seen with mobile gaming really across the globe because, you know, people had a hell of a lot more free time because, you know, right? Yeah. Is sticking around and they, let's see, 63% of participants reported that they've increased their time playing mobile games once the pandemic began. And six also reported that they uh, didn't play before COVID-19 with 73% of the spike in play time uh, that they saw from before the pandemic it's just it's one of those things that's kind of crazy uh reporting numbers but then you say and think about it, it's like oh yeah people had a hell of a lot more free time right people had more free time um and mobile games are at have a lower barrier in the beginning have a very low barrier to entry because no matter you know free to play games are not free if you stay with them long enough and all of that jazz but you know the entry of free you know, makes it easy for people to get into and try them out. And maybe they like the first one they try, or maybe they don't, and they move on to other games. But, you know, once you get in in the environment and find that you like it, yeah, absolutely, you're more likely to stay. This is, and this is not like a, you know, casual gamer, like whatever. Like, I, if you play games of any kind, you are a gamer, and you can be an enthusiast like Rage and I, and I'm sure, you know, most of you listening to the show, you know, or you can be someone who just engages on it, you know, more... Uh, on a more casual basis in the sense of like, you know, you don't spend tons of money on hardware and keep up to date with the news or whatever, but you're still a gamer and gaming is fun and gaming is relaxing and gaming is a great way to de-stress. Well, you're with Gigabyte. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, that's an enthusiast level problem though. You know, your, your average, uh, house, housewife, soccer mom type person, you know, probably. What are just sending back to Dell? <laughs> Yeah, or not been in that position in the first place. You know, just different people, you know, in different walks of life and different spheres of gaming. But anyways, like, I mean, you know, their games are great for relaxing and for anxiety and depression, you know, sort of as a low-level coping skill and treatment strategy. Um, and, you know, there was like a, this one really stressful thing in 2020. Uh, oh, wait, no, it wasn't just one. It was like 50 fucking stressful things with one massive global one you know so absolutely it makes sense that there's been an increase of gaming and once people find that they like something they tend to stick with it and a a lot of people you know six percent of uh you know people surveyed or people you know from their data like of new players like that's a big deal you know six percent might not sound like much but Given how many people worldwide have mobile devices, you know, that, that have access to games, 6% could represent millions of people. So it, it doesn't surprise me that, that there were so many people either engaging for the first time or engaging on a more regular basis. That doesn't surprise me. And it also doesn't surprise me that they stick with it. Cause if you like something, you stick with it. And mobile gaming is a very easy way to get into gaming with so many games that at least have the you know entry point of free and a lot of other games that are popular that do cost money are really cheap on mobile so yeah absolutely and ultimately i i 
for better or for worse, like this is where we're at. And I think more people being engaged in the medium is a good thing, not a bad thing. You know, kind of like with movies and books and things like, you know, yes, you do have a lot of mainstream garbage, but the more people that are engaged in something does mean that you have a greater chance for there to be um, much more artistic creativity and more interesting things being done, more people willing to take a risk and more people willing to fund that risk. So I, th- I think in the long run, it's 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 a good thing. Um, certainly, you're not going to see, you know, however many, you probably wouldn't even see 6% of this number convert into a more enthusiast space, but there will be some who do. And even if it's, you know, that small percent, one, two, three percent, that still could represent, th- you know, millions of people on the scale that we're talking about here. When you have billions of people who have access to smartphones or other devices, you don't necessarily just smartphones, tablets or whatever. Well, uh, well, I was just, whenever they say mobile gaming, my thoughts immediately go to smartphones because, you know, Smartphones are pretty much the norm these days. Uh, it's kind of rare to see someone to not have access to a smartphone, be it just theirs, uh, yeah. minus uh, you know, uh, the senior ge- uh, uh, demographic, because uh, they'll either you know, be fearful of uh, yeah, uh, a smart device or just stick with their old flip phone jitterbug. Yeah. According, so I just, you know, this is just a Google search, one of the first things that popped up, but there are an estimated 3.8 billion smartphones for smartphone users worldwide. That's that's billion with a B. Carl Sagan, billions. Billions, yes. Um, and total mobile phone users is estimated at a, around 5 billion. So, you know, you've got 75% of, of that worldwide is smartphones compared to all mobile phone devices yeah and that's the thing is that whenever we think smartphones i think just uh um, it might just be just enthusiast level we assume you know top of the line stuff but smartphone is a pretty broad definition these days as well and could go pretty pretty cheap i mean well (laughs) i was just going over to woot uh one of my favored just refurbished sites and here's a really good example of technology already getting cheaper to be fair this is still expensive but they have a microsoft surface do dual one of the folding screens or folding tablets for under 600 yeah and that's that's technology quickly going down i realize that's still very expensive but that's also kind of highlighting just, right? Yeah. How, because, I mean, last year, two years ago, those things were, you know, four digits to buy one. You know, so seeing one of them at, at 600 bucks, that is a, a pretty good, pretty big price reduction. You can get a decent smartphone. If you buy one brand new, you can get a pretty decent smartphone for, you know, 150, 100 to 150 bucks. Decent in the sense of, like, it's going to have enough power to run any sort of basic apps that you want, be responsive, come with, a, with enough features that you're going to have some onboard memory and obviously Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, you know. Like, you can get something pretty functionable for 100 to 150 bucks. You know, I, I tend to buy smartphones that are $1,000 plus, but I value having the high performance that comes with buying and also, a product in that price range. And also there's the kind of the... Uh, 
fallacy of thinking, well, a thousand dollar smartphone, but we're not really looking at it as a thousand dollar. We're looking at it on a monthly basis as well. Yeah. Well, I I buy I buy my phones full price upfront. I uh, see. I, um, I don't. I just tack it up to the uh, to the cell phone bill because right. Yeah, it's it's cheaper to do that uh, in the long run. We'll we'll like we'll we'll buy it, and even if we pay for it with our credit card, it's cheaper to pay it off on the credit card than it is to pay it off as part of your contract. You know, the the fee for it monthly or whatever. Actually, mine uh, is interest free. There's no tack on for it. Oh, I, nice! Actually, I sat down and did the math, and it comes up to exactly what the price was. So yeah, Verizon at least the deal that quote unquote deal that I got here is like fuck you. We know that we're the only people who have good service in this area. You'll pay what we tell you to. And I was like, nah, I'll just buy, I'll just buy it outright. Yeah, to be fair, it's like uh, two and a half years uh, to pay it off uh, if I don't pay ahead. Which right, it's, uh, especially considering you know no interest on it. Yeah. But every about three years, I buy a new top-of-the-line smartphone, and I'll use it for about three years, and then mm. buy the next one. Yeah, I expect to run this thing into the ground, especially considering I highly doubt I'm going to get a Samsung next time around, just because of what they've changed. Yeah. Because I'm one of those weirdos that I, I still use a wired headset. Uh, the fact that they completely removed uh, uh, expandable memory, just no. Yeah. The, uh, the expandable memory got me. Not the headset, but the expandable memory does. Although I understand people who want a headphone jack. Well, I don't think those well, okay. are dumb or whatever. Okay, well, here's the thing. is that uh, Adidas card doesn't have Bluetooth uh, uh, directly. Uh, actually uh, got her a uh, Bluetooth uh, receiver that plugs into the auxiliary. But if I want to play something from my phone... I either connect to that or I could just plug, or unplug the auxiliary and plug it directly into my phone and not have to worry about pairing. Yeah. And plus you save the battery power from not running Bluetooth all the time. Not to say I don't have Bluetooth headsets. It's just you know, uh, sometimes I just want the wired plus my computer headset or my computer headphones uh, has two cables. One that uh, is just a uh, old uh, corded phone, curly Q style cable uh, extendable cable that has a uh, uh it's not the 3.5 millimeter it's the 5.5 yeah uh but it also has a secondary cable that i can plug in uh that is a 3.5 millimeter but it has a microphone on it so for cell phone use so i could use it for double duty especially during some of my play testing stuff for mobile phones it's very handy actually and not have to worry about my battery running down during uh, some uh, jobs for it. Right. So, and I would tell you more about me uh, uh, playing uh, mobile phones uh, as a job, or mobile games as a job, but then I have to kill you. <laughs> well, I know well, a little bit about, about what you're doing. Yeah, but... I'll keep your secret, though. But it's also, yo, NDAs. So I was just... Right. Uh, okay, well, he, okay, here's a good example. I was trying to find it on here. Um... A Google Pixel 3 uh, 65 gigabyte unlocked phone uh, is 160 bucks on Woot. That's not bad. Nice. They'll say the bootloader is locked. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Uh, it says, although the phone itself is made for Verizon, this is the U.S. version of this phone. It's unlocked, so it's compatible with both major U.S. carriers. So, right? Yeah. 
Alrighty. But yeah, smartphone is a very, very low barrier to entry these days. Unless you're talking yeah. iPhones, then yeah, right. Yeah. Even used iPhones are horrendously expensive. They hold their value really well, despite the fact that they're garbage when they're brand new and they're way out of date by the time you buy one used. Mm-hmm. That's right. I hate iPhones. Come at me. Well, Adidas st- kind of stuck in the architecture because, yeah, she has a bunch of her stuff on Apple. So that's the, the kind of gets you, huh? Yep. When I was in my master's program, I've said this on the show before, I'll keep bitching about it until I die. They made us get iPads or some type of Apple device, and I bought the cheapest iPad that I could. I bought, like, an iPad mini, and it was... I hated it. I hated the entire experience, and I sold it immediately as soon as I got my degree. No, no, really. Tell me how how that makes you feel. And how does it's that make terrible. you feel? It makes me feel angry. I don't like Apple stuff. <laughs> All right. So, kind of continuing this mobile... Uh, mobile tangent we've been on. EA pulls several Need for Speed titles from online shops. Yeah, let's see. The There was a couple mobile ones as well. I'm just... So the games that have been removed are Need for Speed Carbon, Need for Speed Undercover, Need for Speed Shift, Need for Speed Shift 2, Electric Boogaloo. Oh, sorry. Uh, Need, uh, for, Shift, uh, Need for Speed Shift 2 Unleashed Electric Boogaloo. And Need for Speed The Run. The Run. Actually, maybe... So, None of these are mobile? I think a couple of them I... are mobile. Okay. But Yeah, uh, I was thinking that... that they were, but then you read all those off, and I was like, oh, are any of those the mobile titles? Sorry, carry on. Uh, But, yeah, they pulled them, and then announced it, and then announced that the multiplayer is shutting down within a, a couple months, uh, being sunsetted on August 31st, 2021. So, yeah. Kind of shitty to uh, announce it like that, huh? Yeah. Let's just put it this way. Steam, yeah, it's gone. <laughs> I've just uh, picked one of them at random. And let's just put it this way. Recent reviews, oof. Yeah. Rightfully so. They... I mean, this is no warning whatsoever. It's just, yeah, by the way, uh, the game's gone. And And given EA's track record of not giving people... Um, you know, once they end development on something, they don't give people the source code to like create their own servers or anything like that. Like there, there are some companies who do that. EA is not one of them. So, it, I mean, I I wouldn't put it past you know really big fans of the game like creating. Oh, and it looks know, like at or... least uh, Need for Speed Shift Two, the one I picked at random, also has limited activations on the key because of course it is. So, of course, yeah, but. They, you know, it says in the article, like, oh, yes, they'll still be able to be played offline in their single-player mode. But the more, the newer you get, the more their features were online-centric and also included, the like, an online store for DLC. And one of them, I, was it Need for Speed The Run that was full of, of uh, like, loot boxes or, like, loot car part boxes or something like that? Uh, it was the newest mainline uh, Need for Speed game, but to be honest, I kind of fell off the Need for Speed series. So uh, let me just yeah, so have I. Uh, it was yeah, the one that it, for... it was it was the one that was basically uh, yeah, Fast and Furious, right? Yeah, yeah, the 18th Need for Speed game, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I liked a lot of the the older Need for Speed games, yeah, Underground, yeah, 
kind of turn of the century, right? Yeah. Underground 1 and 2. Uh, Carbon was fine. Um, Undercover was okay. Shift was interesting because it was their, you know, attempt to do a realistic, more racing sim type game. Um, that was fine. I didn't play Shift obviously, 2. Obviously good enough to get a sequel, right? Yeah. But I, I didn't play Shift 2. I didn't play uh, The Run. So, yeah, you know, just... they they just, the more modern they got, the worse they got. Yeah. Because <laughs> instead of delivering good gameplay and fun car customization and, you know, compelling enough storylines, they just start Honestly, focusing on microtransactions okay. and loot boxes. I, usually and... I'm not a huge fan of the cheese, but when they had the full motion video cheesy uh, cutscenes, I think. Yeah, that, those were I, awesome. I think the, that was kind of peak need for speed. Yeah, I loved those. I think Carbon might have been the last game that they did those in. Because I, I remember in Undercover, instead of doing the full motion video cutscenes, they had like still images for, for the characters. And there would be voiceover of the still image of the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, I don't know if they were in... Uh, they, they were not in Shift. I don't know if they were in, you know, The Run or the any others. They had them in Carbon. Yeah, I just wonder if this is just a licensing issue on all the games and it just uh the contract was coming up and it just wasn't worth it well it says on here in this article that it's uh the gamesindustry.biz towards the bottom says the post explains it's no longer feasible to keep maintaining servers next to the number of players still actively using them yeah but that's for the multiplayer i could see them sunsetting that uh but uh to pull the games completely from sale that is a little odd yeah and i know like you said that a lot of the features are intrinsic to the multiplayer but does it completely break them break it if the multiplayer goes down that's true and i mean these games did have tons of licensed music so i could see that be a, <laughs> being a deciding factor as well i mean the one that i remember the most is from underground 2 snoop dogs uh killers on the run uh-huh killer on the run i don't i don't remember the exact name of the track but I remember that song. Honestly, the only uh, interaction I've had with Soup Dog uh, lately is asking Martha Stewart to pass him a bowl of strawberries. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that commercial. Well, it's been all over YouTube for the last, like, uh, month. Cute the first (laughs) time. Gets old. But then again, that's really internet advertising. Wasn't that, like, made, like, a year or two ago? It just popped up on uh, YouTube. Or at least on my account, I should say. Okay. But then again, uh, YouTube has been having some questionable stuff on their ads lately. Like, I've gotten some 20-minute ads uh, that have been unskippable. It's just, nope. Yeah. Oh, God. That was from 2017. The Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> well, I don't watch the Super Bowl, so there's that, too. I have zero interest in that. So, I might miss out on a meme here or there, but, eh. Yeah. Apparently, Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart have a long history. You didn't I'm, know I'm that? just discovering. No, I didn't know. Martha I don't, Stewart I don't... Uh, wrote the forward to Snoop Dogg's cookbook. Man, I don't know shit about Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart than... has street cred. She uh, uh, she was uh, no stint. She went to jail. <laughs> I, I was gonna say I know Martha Stewart went to jail, and you know, and like I know the name. Yeah, you know, they and... they actually have a long friendship. It's. Kind of weird, but cute. They uh, met, I think it was on a talk show. That's very cool. Snoop Dogg is a a super cool dude. 
he's been on a uh, on a few kids TV shows that my my sons watched, and oh, every time I see him, I'm like, ah, it's Snoop Dogg yeah. doing a kids TV show, and they and they always make a make a wee joke with him. Mm-hmm. The kids don't know, but I do. I know. Yeah, it's uh, Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart are one of the those uh, friendships that. Uh, from the outside, it looks so weird, but yeah, uh, I would say the other one uh, that I know about that I can think of off the top of my head is Elton John and Eminem. I didn't know that they were friends. Yeah, I kind of get that though. I kind of get it. Like it kind of makes sense because they're both very prolific musicians, very prolific, talented musicians, uh, hugely culturally important figures. I could see them meeting at you know traveling the same sort uh, of circles and becoming Grammys, friends. Actually. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It does seem a bit odd, but I do see it. Like Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg, though. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do some research on this later. Yeah, I just it, find that fascinating, but cool. Yeah. Uh, well, let's just put it this way: this is how good of friends they are. Elder John is uh, Eminem's uh, AA sponsor. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah, and if you go to the library, uh, borrow Snoop Dogg's uh, cookbook. It's wild. <laughs> yeah. And no, it's not uh, 101 ways to make a marijuana a brownies. Even though he does hint at it one time. I've seen Snoop Dogg's cookbook. It's actually, but I've I've never it, like read it's, it. It's better, I borrowed it one uh, at one point just to on a lark after seeing a, a YouTube channel cover it. I borrowed the electronic version and kind of flipped through it, and it was a lot better than what I expected. But then again, I also had my expectations way low. Got Snoop yeah. Dogg, right? And he doesn't yeah. take himself very seriously. To be fair, I never tested anything in it, but it was better than I expected. From crook to cook, it's 12 bucks on Amazon. Like I said, I'll borrow it from the library to check it out. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I'm going to look into this Snoop Dogg, Martha Stewart friendship thing. <laughs> That's very cool. It, it's it's wholesome. Yeah. Like, it, it's very wholesome. wholesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, welcome to the oddly specific <laughs> celebrity cooking portion of the podcast. <laughs> well, I should or say uh, I, I should say celebrity friendship portion. I mean, to be fair, it's nothing like the uh, romance that Patrick Stewart and uh, Ian McAllen has. But right, yeah, not not everything but, but, can be though. But, but that's such a high bar, right? It's a very high bar. So, um, I uh, I checked um, Discord and we didn't have anything. For this week's community oh, corner, actually, we have some. I didn't check the emails because I was in the middle of trying to fix everything. Because I have, like I said, uh, the forbidden zone is in a horrendous mess. So uh, yeah. it, it's uh, hodgepodge getting stuff together. So I didn't even actually log into the Gmail in ages. So let's see where it is. Yeah. So you're, so while while you're so doing you're, that, yeah, you're going to get alert of me logging in on a new computer because right. Yeah, that's fine. So while well, you there, changed have, the password there... one time on me because of it. <laughs> I did do that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but anyways, while, while you're doing that, we do have some articles that you guys sent us, that, but we haven't had a chance to really look at them and see which ones are still relevant at this point. Definitely the EA, or not EA, the Epic um, Apple lawsuit uh, is one that we're going to talk about. There's some articles that you guys have posted about that, but we need to research where it's at. I know that they had uh, reached a settlement agreement, 
but it still had to be approved and it could be thrown out and could have been sent back in by, you know, by the judge um, or either participant, like they could change their mind right up until the last minute. So need to review where that's at before we talk about it. And then there's a few other articles in there, which we appreciate. Don't know how relevant they still are at this point. So we need to review them. We'll do that for uh, the future. So we, we do recognize and appreciate them. We just didn't have a chance to, to get that all set up. Like rage was setting up his computer today or his laptop today for this. I mean, I've had it for a few days, but setting this up, it was right. Yeah. It, uh, it takes, takes a minute. So um, nothing in the email, I assume. Well, <laughs> other than I, spam. I, well, we do have spam, but we did uh, have a alert from Podbeam saying that we crossed a uh, hundred episodes uh, published on there and 10,000 downloads. So, uh, like a month ago. <laughs> no, those are milestones that we hit a lot farther ago than that. We've got, I think we have 200 episodes on Podbean. Well, I'm not sure why I was just saying this now. Yeah, I know. You can go look at it. You can go look, log into our Podbean account and look at it. And we have several of those badges past the one that we just got the, or that we got the email for that's like, congratulations. So, I don't know. I think that features may be a little buggy. Yeah. Yeah, and let's see, just random junk mail. Uh, successfully 5x grow your business. Oh boy, right? A mystery gift from yep. League of Legends, because, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Love me some League of Legends. Yeah, I think I, I, I just, don't. I think I'm not I'll some just, secret. I think I'll just pour coffee on my computer. I don't need that. <laughs> I, I don't need that much anger. I've had anger no. today. I don't need uh, more. Although, uh, they are, uh, Patreon is a, a, a doing a call out for foodies like a month ago. We could always uh, spin off to a cooking podcast. <laughs> We're already halfway to a cooking podcast. And I didn't see anything on the Twitter. At least last time I looked. Uh, we'll just go double check and nope. Yep. So, yeah, if but you if... wish to uh, send us something and we'll figure out what to do with the Discord stuff because, yeah. We have like a month and a half of, uh, uh, especially Jim sending us stuff that we need to sort through, and uh, it was kind of a crazy week to uh, get uh, get everything going on my end. I got this what Thursday, uh, this laptop. No, I got it Friday. So, uh, and let's just put it this way: Windows S mode sucks. <laughs> Indeed. And, and trying to figure out how to turn it off when. Uh, Either it is updating something in the background or bugged out on the Windows Store is incredibly frustrating. Uh, but yeah, if you wish to contribute something, bglpodcast at gmail.com. You could uh, contact on the contact us on the Twitter, <laughs> BGL Podcast, or you could uh, hop over to the Discord, which you can find a link to over at bglpodcast.podbean.com. So shall we doobly-do for the first time in like a month and a half? Yeah, let's do that. We can go through one real quick. Okay, and of course, I have the queue uploaded and have something interesting right off the bat because, of course. Of course. So I've got Backbone, a raccoon post noir role playing adventure game. Okay. Anamorphic animals in a hard boiled detective game. But it's not kind of just a point and click. It has, looks like a bit more depth than that, which is intriguing to me. And it has a free demo. So there is that as well. It's so very, very interesting. 
Oh, right. Oh, no. I just saw what you put on there. I saw that pop up earlier. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it just has this kind of gritty, dirty, uh, noir, hard-boiled detective story that... I, I have a soft spot for detective uh, stories to begin with. Or, or I should say good ones, which, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad ones out there. So, this would be one that I might pick up eventually. It is a bit expensive for an indie game, though, so we'll see how that comes out. <laughs> so, go ahead. Let's go. Yep, I got uh, Power Wash Simulator, which is the pressure washing simulator game. Um... It's it's kind of an internet darling right now. Uh, whether or not it, that's real or if it's ironic love, I'm not sure. Well, I know that there's an pe- entire subreddit of people really liking uh, to watch power wash, watch uh, things get power washed. So it- yeah, I mean, it's there's definitely people out there who genuinely like it, like this sort of thing. And I have to admit, as someone who has a pressure washer and who has had to use it to you know pressure wash my deck and and some other things that can be a very soothing experience for a little while just to sort of you know zone out listen to something while you do a pretty simple task and get to enjoy the result i don't know if i would want to play a video game that does that uh but you know I, I do I do see why people would would like it so but yeah it's it's a big you know internet darling right now um could be fun for you it's 20 bucks if you want it uh it's cool glad that games like these exist for people there's a, a a big enough niche that someone made this that it seems to be a really well-made game and that people are enjoying it okay I got something that looks odd interesting. It has what? Hang on, I'm looking at something real quick. Looks like this guy's. Oh, okay. This has popped up before. This developer, and this is pretty much another reskin of, or I should say, a, another take on his. Oh, is that accidentally clicked out of the show notes because, of course, I did. Uh, it is. Scroll. Wait for it to load. Scroll down. Scroll down. Scroll down. Grish. Or sorry, Trader Life Simulator. Uh, we've seen this guy pop up before. This uh, looks like it's a, a individual uh, uh, developer who's made quite a few of these sort of uh, uh, tycoon s games. And this one is playing as building a, uh, a grocery store. Yep. I, I have this game. Oh, I did? played it. Yeah, I played it and talked about it on the show like two two months be, ago. Maybe to be fair, it's kind of a blur. Yeah, that's fair. It's also a very generic sounding game, yeah. Trader Life Simulator. Yeah. Well, ju- judging from the name of the developer, I'm going to guess English is not first language. Nope. Uh, but a lot of these are very interchangeable in his uh, resume. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fine. I played it, like, when it first entered into Early Access, and it was super-duper bare-bones and kind of janky. Uh, there's been a bunch of content updates since I've played it. I I don't know. People are saying that it's better than already, so... Well, it's good know. that, yeah, developers at least working on it, and not just, uh, you know, uh, throwing out, uh, you know, broken games and leaving them. Yeah. So I got uh, Going Medieval, which is a... Uh, yeah, I've seen that one. Uh, did a couple medieval. of Discovery Qs uh, before. Uh, yeah. Looks like it's a medieval like city, quote-unquote city, mm-hmm. builder. 
Um, town Builder and, is the genre. Yeah, I'd Town Builder and, and man- management game. I mean, it, it looks all right. Um, very nice, minimalistic art style. Um, you know, seems fine. Have seen a bunch of these games before, though. So uh, it's 25 bucks right now on Early Access. If you really love this, maybe it's worth it. I don't know. I would personally wait for it to be like five bucks just because there's so many of these types of games. And so out many there. bad ones. Yeah. And that's the thing is that uh, there's, uh, I would say the town builder genre, it's greatly oversaturated. There's the big ones. I would I would classify RimWorld as probably the most acceptable, uh, accessible of the deeper ones. Along with uh, maybe oxygen not included, but those aren't medieval style. Uh, the guild, uh, the old, uh, uh, the guild one and two, is probably the closest that you would get to like a town builder life sim. Uh, that's actually good because uh, there's uh, all of them have some sort of jank and some sort of yeah iffiness in uh, quality once you get out of like the big handful of uh, games in this genre. Yeah. And sometimes they just greatly uh, uh, miscommunicate what they are because I've run into some that claim to be a town builder and, uh, hey, it's more tower defense than anything. Yeah. This game is being published. It's not developed by, but published by uh, a group that has published games like PC Building Simulator, Mars Horizon, Good Company, uh, Tohu... Um, games that I'm have either played or am familiar with as being good, but yeah, I'm just a you know, that bit, doesn't necessarily yeah, I'm just a mean iffy on developer looking or at least on Steam not having any uh, uh, other games, especially for a double A uh, priced game. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, that is uh, going medieval. Yeah. Medieval. Yeah, I was just looking to see if I could find anything else about them because, right? Yeah. And it looks like this is their first one. So, right? Yeah. So I got Warbox, a sandbox shooter where uh, players will have access to a variety of tools and features that give them access to customize and change the battlefield however they like. So essentially, a sandbox where... You build your own shooter scenarios uh, with AI uh, opponents. It sounds interesting, but there's a lot of question marks here, especially since it's early access. Just what are they going to do with this, right? Especially considering that they're claiming a six-month cycle in early access, and no, just no. Yeah. Anybody that says six months in early access whenever they... uh, have a large roadmap of features, just no. But uh, we'll say that, yeah, having a uh, the ability to just build you know, your own scenarios, especially if you like the mechanics of this particular game, which they don't really go into uh, if it's going to be realistic uh, Arma style, if it's going to be more, you know, Call of Duty esque or what. It's just, you know, it's just they're throwing it out there. Uh, but it is cheap, at least for now. So it does yeah. have that going for it, which is nice. So I got an interesting looking one slipways um it's a let me just read the the tagline um 
We've isolated planets into a vast trade empire. Hatch plans, research game-breaking technologies, still be done in time for lunch. Enjoy the endless possibilities of Space Grand Strategy, or of a Space Grand Strategy game in 60 minutes flat. This looks interesting. It feels much more like a, like a board game or like a, some type of puzzle game where the, the focus is not on what you think of traditionally from a 4X strategy game or a grand strategy game of very carefully, very slowly doing things, but like very rapidly making decisions and engaging in whatever this game's like resource and research system is. And like it says things like there's no... 20% upgrade here, you can move planets at will if you research the right technology. And that sounds interesting and different. I don't know how much I would like it, uh, but it's got my attention. You, you do just about anything sci-fi, and you've got a better chance of me buying into it. So I am I am intrigued by this game. Especially um, since it looks... Uh, I saw this one pop up earlier on me just seeing what's out there and getting some of the crappy games out of my queue. This wasn't one of them. Uh, where it's more economic focused as well instead of war focused like a lot of 4Xs. Which I know, yeah, it's... I know one of the Xs is Exterminate but right? Yeah. It even says on here that there's no military. Um, although it looks like one of the powers can destroy a planet. I'm not sure. Just like, you know, looking at the... It's foreclosure. The trailer and... <laughs> nice. But yeah, looks neat. I'm into it. It's uh, $17. So, I, I, and I keep going for the wrong keyboard because uh, I'm sitting here at my desk and I want to get type on my nice uh, clicky keyboard, but, right? Yeah. So, I got... The bus. Which, there you go. The bus. A bus driving simulator in Berlin. And it's not just, it's not, you know, it's very Euro Truck Simulator-esque where it's actual bus and uh, supposedly a one-to-one scale, realistic scale of uh, Berlin. Where you transport passengers on different city lines across the city with various buses and manage your fleet and team up with other bus drivers online. And that's the thing, is that you know, uh, there's this kind of zen whenever you're playing a really good driving sim like this. I could definitely see this uh, having a uh, an audience. Assuming, of course, yeah, it's worth anything. I mean, it is early access once again. And there is a roadmap because, hey, right? Yay, roadmap. Uh, but if someone's from Berlin or... Uh, actually, I would say it's probably more interesting to people that live outside of Germany. So, you know, it's foreign to them. Sort of like how I'm more interested in playing Eurotruck than I am American Truck. Mm-hmm. And I keep making that analogy because, you know, it's the easiest one to make. It, people, I think, write off these uh, driving simulators as, why would you want to do that? Not really understanding that, you know, it's relaxing to ha- to be able to do it, but not have the overarching responsibility of okay if i screw up you know a lot of people get hurt right yeah there's also other aspects to the game because there is a a little bit of sort of business management to it Mm -hmm. and building or buying customizing your vehicles and you know there's a little bit more to it than just driving a truck around but yeah i mean i I agree with you so and uh your truck or or at least american truck has uh, tried to throw in things that break up the monotony as well where you know, occasionally roads will close and they and they have online events where you uh, 
do stuff as well to, uh, to throw in uh, experience into a collective pool to do something. So it's not just, you know, driving the same roads over and over again. They, they throw other things into it. Yeah. And I would imagine that something would go on with this as well. Uh, they do say that they're planning full day-night cycles with weather and seasons. Uh, so the fact that they're wanting to do that as well with uh, changing up the gameplay a bit. It'll be interesting to see... One, if this does get out early access, because you know, there's always that danger, but also just how that shakes out once it is. Yeah. So I got uh, a game called The Last Spell. This is a uh, turn-based tactical roguelite where that you are playing a group of heroes building and defending a town or a city from hordes of evil monsters. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the whole build it during the day, survive the night while they attack. Um, looks like from just like look, reading some stuff here that it's like the, the roguelike mechanics are explained as like every time the monsters like get in and, and destroy like your city's like magic orb or whatever, it sets off a train reaction and restarts events, but you get to keep, you know, the characters keep their memories and some of their power and you grow until you win sort of thing. It's neat. I'm not the biggest fan of roguelite games, not because of the gameplay. I like the gameplay ideas, but most of them tend to be like platformers and stuff. And I'm not a big fan of platformers, but or or Metroid, you know, Metroidvania style games, which mm-hmm. be platformers, but to you know, be a little more specific, I'm not a big fan of that that type of game. But this is it seems interesting to me. I like turn-based tactical strategy games. So um, using those mechanics in an interesting way in a, a genre I haven't seen much uh you know roguelite use in it could be interesting and it's not very expensive uh it's currently on sale like it's launch sale for 18 bucks it's 20 bucks normally i'm gonna i'm gonna watch this one and see how it develops because it is an early access and i don't want to buy into it if it's gonna wind up abandoned in six months but it's got my my interest so yeah Okay, so I got a racing game that might be up your alley. Jetborn Racing. Racing with jets. <laughs> As in fighter planes. So think Ace Combat-esque. It does have yeah. a VR mode or desktop mode. It does look like they kind of highlight the VR elements of the least, but support for HOTAS, which is kind of a priority these days, actually, right? Yeah. So full support for HOTAS, uh, GFX... Uh, it looks like enclosed coursing, uh, courses, uh, uh, racing against uh, opponents. I mean, it doesn't look like it's yeah, a particularly deep game, honestly. But it looks like it's fun, and you get and it's very arcadey with shields, cannons, missiles, tractor beams, mines, and more. Secure your lead or battle your way to the top. Well, at least there's no blue shell, right? <laughs> right. It looks like they do suggest the VR, but uh, desktop is functional. Uh, this looks neat. Yeah, it's not early uh, access either. The thing is, does it have the... AI or is it all online uh, co- or uh, competitive? Because if it's just online, yeah, that would kind of throw a wrench into things, but right? Yeah. But it's also 10 bucks, so it's not that bad. It looks neat. Um, I would be interested in trying it. Although, the more you talked, the more my interest sort of waned on it. Because at first, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, jet racing sounds cool. Like, if yeah, they, but you know, it's support. 
yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, like, all right, do some realistic flight mechanics. That could be interesting. And you're like, arcade I'm like, oh. Well, they could still be okay. Ace Combat's really arcade I'm like, oh, tractor beams and, you know. Like, it still sounds neat. I'm not like, oh, this sounds terrible. Yeah, but it sounds, my, my interest wanes. It, it sounds like Mario Kart only with jet planes. Yeah. But it does look like there is uh, quite a bit more to it. Uh, one, you have to account for gravity. Uh, there's um, uh, also the GFX, so you could red out or black out. Mm-hmm. I will say it does look like it's from about 2003, <laughs> uh, graphically. But that yeah. might just be because, you know, they're... Uh, trying to be accessible for uh, VR headsets as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've said this many times on the show. Graphics don't don't alone make a game. Yeah, you know, graphics can add to an experience. Um, but if a game is good, then it doesn't matter so much what it looks like as long as it's playable. Like you know, Dwarf Fortress being like one of the best examples that I can think of. Mm-hmm. But there are others. Um, okay, so I got Days Gone, which is. Um, one of the games that Sony has ported over to PC. I think it, this was ported over very recently. Um, it is a zombie action, like post-apocalyptic zombie action third-person shooter. I don't think it has any survival elements to it. I could be. Uh, I, I think there's. That. A, I think there's a light one. So very light survival elements. And I do know that you have to get fuel for your motorcycle, and if you don't, then you're going it on. You're going on foot. Um. But I don't, I don't know if you have to, like, eat and drink and all that jazz. But, I mean, well, well, this doesn't really look... really if you have to poop? <laughs> right. This doesn't look like a good game, but it also doesn't look like a bad game. Kind of everything that I've heard said about this game is it's like, yeah, it's fun. If you uh, are wanting, like, a big open-world game to play and zombies are your thing, like, this can fill that bill, you know? But it's not, like, a masterpiece or anything like that. So, it is... What to do? For it's fifty bucks on on Steam right now. It'll probably go on sale at some point. But if you have really been wanting to play this, and but you didn't have a PlayStation, well, now you can. Which they have said that if uh, this and other Sony ports do well, we could see more in the future. Yeah, I'm not sure how well Days Gone is going to do, but I do know that. Um, oh shoot, what was the one with Horizon the, the... Zero Dawn? Yeah, Horizon did really well, or has been doing really well. So, well, we were. I mean, I, I've said it. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I've said it before. I'll say it again. You know, I I want to play some of Sony's games. I just am not willing to buy a PlayStation and sacrifice, you know, the 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 goodness of playing on a PC. Like, I'm not gonna just go get a PlayStation for a few exclusives that they have. But you put those games on PC, I'll buy them all day. <laughs> well, we were talking about how graphics don't make everything, uh, especially when it comes to gameplay. How about particle effects? So Hard I got effect. Geometry Arena. Ooh. Is this the next in the Geometry Wars I'm not sure. series of games? Uh, I think this is uh, somebody taking that and uh, putting their own spin on it. A freeform arena shooter roguelite with heavy emphasis on building an overpowered character. So you build a character based on shapes with different modifiers, runes, alchemy, and you just go nuts. And kind of looking at the video, doesn't make a lot of sense what the hell is going on. Uh, but it's just 
pretty. It's a lot of power golf X, but I can tell shit's going down. That's all I yeah. really need to know about this, right? Is yeah, as someone who has played Geometry Wars, this makes perfect sense. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a mess of explosions and weapons and pretty colors, Let's and see. I'm okay with that. Okay, so I'm just gonna go down the key features because this should tell you. Uh, uh, 12 rolls with unique mechanics, 12 color variations that bring ability changes, 75 skill modules, 28 difficulty options which will allow you to DIY the game, 18 difficulty levels to suit real uh, needs for each player, 20 uh, bullet ver- 20 plus ver- bullet variations and splits that stack up perfectly, 160 upgrades, or sorry, 160 plus that can be mixed and matched with five uh, adjustable levels of lighting effects. So, have fun, right? Yeah. I don't. I have no idea if this is actually the next Geometry Wars I, game. I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't think it is either. Um, I think this is someone who really enjoyed Geometry Wars and made a spiritual successor to that the game with a lot more depth on the... Uh, Combat? Uh, on, on what the player can do, like adding all these elements to it. Because Geometry Wars, you started as like a little basic shape... And you gained weapons, power, and abilities, and and stuff as you went along. And it it seems like this is you can start with the you know all of these things and customize your own little shape, dude, and go crazy. It's got to have a banging soundtrack though. If if its soundtrack uh, music sucks, sounded pretty good at least on the video. Okay, but I yeah. never played Geometry War, so I'm not sure if it's the same style of music. Uh, play the video and unmute it. Yeah, it's in the same vein. Um. It's uh, it's a good, good, good start. Good trailer track. Have to see, you know, or have to hear some more of them. But looks good. Sounds good. I like it. I really like Geometry Wars. Um, anyways, I got one. I got distracted looking. I hadn't put it in the in the thing. One moment. It's called Railgrade. Uh oh. Is that the Verkang? Yes, but also me. Uh, it's a train construction and strategy game where you build rail networks on alien planets um, and cities to deliver you know resources and goods and kickstart economies on a on distant earth colonies so sci-fi train management game I'm in like it really it, it just says coming soon 2021 but if I could buy this right now you bet your ass I would I'm, I'm in on this one so you know gonna gonna enjoy that unless it's garbage and then i'll be sad okay so i got fabled lands a challenging old school narrative rpg set in open world complete quests fight trade goods develop your character explore a vast uh, adventure uh, land of adventure travel across uh, the war-torn kingdom survive the uh, plains of howling darkness and escape the uh, the uh, the court of hidden faces now, big asterisks here. Early access RPG. That's two things I really do not like going together because typically I've found an issue with RPGs is that if you play them while they're in early access, yeah, you do not get the full experience because naturally, of course, right? But also there's right. a problem with early access when it comes to RPGs is that the early game gets a lot and lot of polish while the late game gets less and less and less. And we saw this really badly in Divinity Original Sin. So we'll see how this goes. They are talking about releasing this full, uh, the full game sometime next year. 
but it's also dependent on how they progress with content creation. So, oof, right? Yeah. It does look very interesting, though, doesn't it? It has a very old-school uh, RPG feel to it. So, I got one that I'm going to mention, but I'm not going to put a link to, because it's hardcore porn game. Uh, it's called Sex with the Devil. Oh, that was actually uh, on the and- front page of Steam. Right. Uh, I didn't see it. I didn't see that on the front page. Yeah. I mean, porn game about having sex with the devil and a succubus lady now, and now, 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 other... Now, question. Are you running a stripper pole down to, de- to hell to, to give them a lap dance first, or...? Oh my god. If, if, if not, I'm gonna sue. <laughs> I'm gonna sue this game. Although I do like that it says, uh, coming soon. But C-U-M-M-I-N-G. I like that. I'm sure other games have done that, and I've not noticed it before, but I noticed it here. I see you, game. I see you. All right. Yep. Obviously not going to put a link to that in our yeah. in our show notes, but I couldn't I couldn't not mention it. Yeah, and I had uh, crap on the rest of my queue, so I am done. Okie dokie. Uh, I got... Have we? I can't remember if we've talked about this or not on the show. SnowRunner? No, because it was uh, Epic Game Store only, so I I refused to play it. But now it's on Game Pass, so once the new computers have been running, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. On Game Pass and in my Discovery queue. I mean, it's it's MudRunner, but with snow. Yeah. So, there you go. Some more slippy slotty. I've got it installed. I haven't played it yet, but I've got it installed uh, through through Game Pass. So that's pretty cool. Um, let's see. I'm almost done with my queue. Yeah, I'm just flipping through another queue. Just to, uh, I'm trying to get rid of all the crap games it's built up. i got a crappy VR porn game. Oh my goodness. Another porn game, Bone Town. The Second Coming. Yeah. But I'm... Uh, Boo. Oh, I got I got Backbone. You got that. Uh, that yeah. was your first game, right? Yeah. Sweet. It actually looks good, huh? It does. Um. Yep. That's it. That's my cue. Backbone was my was my last game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get anything interesting. I'm just trying to click through another uh, uh, discovery queue to get rid of all the crap that's built up because right. Right. And yeah, nothing. Or I should say. Nothing worthwhile. There's a couple that's... Eh, oof, so much porn games, right? That's why episodes Absolutely. you don't weed them out for a month and a half. It's like, hey, have you decided that you like porn games now? Maybe you like porn games. I mean, granted, now, I, got somebody I, I, do, that, my, I do like porn games. Well, I got somebody on my friends list, not you, that buys like all the crappy uh, 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 yeah, match three porn games on Steam, and I'm just sitting here thinking... So you're the reason they see. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand that. Like, there, some of these porn games I get that have real effort put into making some interesting gameplay or doing something different. But, like, a match three, like, porn game? Just go watch porn. Look up some porn. Like, cheaper, easier. I don't, I don't know what the point is of that. Oh, Jim just was asking, uh, does it mean you got your stuff back up in working order seeing us in uh, Discord? Uh, decided to tease him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, Jim. I'm not gonna, not gonna tease him. 
All right, was that your cue? Was that the, the rest of your cue? Uh, yeah. Man. <laughs> Sweet. Hey, Rage. Uh, hit him with the socials. Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, Game of CR. Uh, you can find me on Steam, Caffeine Rage. And if you wish to annoy us on Discord, you can go there as well. And you've been gaming psychologist you can find me on the youtubes by searching for such find me on twitter at jma4707 be my friend on discord or steam uh jarthur4707 yeah i'm not gonna bother with the password this week because i don't have access to that directly because that's in the dropbox and there is no password yeah. the lockpicking lawyer would be ashamed at, at how low security we are this week <laughs> Well, to be fair, the lockpicking lawyer would just slash us up with his knife anyway. That's true. <laughs> that's that's very true. Yeah, if you've never watched Lockpicking Lawyer, best two minutes of YouTube. Yeah, I, I saw one today that was old. It, it was several months old, maybe even a year old. It was um, it was it was one of the trailer hitch ones, uh-huh. and it's like a, it's like two and a half or three minutes, and he spends two minutes and fifteen seconds talking about the thing. <laughs> And then, like, 15 seconds to pick it, like, three times. I'm like, oh, I love you, you magnificent bastard. Although, still my favorite thing is this April Fool's videos. They're the one thing that I love about April Fool's. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Especially whenever I hit Anita just out of nowhere, slipping that into, the like, the YouTube queue. Yeah. Because she's used to be firing a block-picking lawyer, especially... It's hard to argue with a two or three minute video, right? I mean, the longest yeah. lock picking lawyers, it's like 10. And that's when he's gutting locks and showing, uh, yo, this is why you suck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, check out the, uh, uh, lock picking lawyer, uh, uh, Long Johnson. Yep. Or, <laughs> or the cock one. His, yeah. Or the his beaver. His girlfriend's back door. The beaver. Yep. The beaver uh, and the back door. Uh, what what really got Anita on the beaver one was okay. Now here's a beaver I keep on the side that my wife doesn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> there was um, I I I don't remember if we talked about this on on recording or not. I know I told you about it that I when I found it going through stuff. One where that so a fan had sent him because fans do this occasionally. They send oh him, yeah, like, you know, the, puzzle the lingerie. Boxes, boxes. Yeah, the one with the lingerie in it, and it's like it go like the how that video goes from being like fun and playful to like hardcore serious in like two seconds. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, like there, mm, there is a Mrs. Lockpicking lawyer. Yes. And she is not going to be pleased about this. Yeah. So anyways, uh, what's, what's the next thing that we do after the socials? <laughs> oh no, it's been a while. Does it really matter at this point? Uh, no, fuck it. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, once, no, well, uh, once again, you can reach us at vglpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics. Tweet them to us, vglpodcast, or drop them into the Discord, which you can find at vglpodcast.podbean.com. And our lovely, lovely patrons have stuck with us through this absolute you know, catastrophe. But to be fair, they stick with us through the show anyway, so maybe you know, not having the regular show is actually a reprieve for them. You can find out a more... breath of fresh air. Yeah, you can find out more at patreon.com slash podcast. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod, and our Discovery Key music is Doobly Do by the same artist. You can find both over at incompetech.com with his other work. And, as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, 
Bye-bye now. Uh, see ya. I'm back. Woo.